because the resolution is based on your own will. I just, I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I've got I to gotta lose some weight. I know I need to be better at Bibles. I, I know I need to do that. And so as a result of my self-will, I'm resolved to do certain things. And that will last until you get distracted and you will something else. So it's got to be God's calling us to do certain things. But it is a time when God calls us to, 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 to reflect, to look back on, on where, where we are a year ago. I said this either last Sunday or, or, or on Friday night, I don't remember which, but maybe it was last Sunday. But, but success, real success, is to look back last year and now look this year at your relationship with Christ. Do you know him better this year than you knew him last year at this time? If so, last year was a success regardless of whatever else happens. So God's calling us to re-examine where's my relationship with him? What, is, what, what place does he have in my heart and in my life. It's a time for reflection and it's a time to refocus, to get our focus set and clear. And the focus of your life, of your will, is so crucial. It is so, so crucial. So our, our purpose, when you're focused on God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for the church, it defines the choices that we make. The great athletes, those that are training for the Olympic events and those that train for other things are so committed, they know what their focus is. It's that gold medal and to hear their nation's, nation's anthem played when they stand on that highest step and they've received that high... And, and that, that focus, that goal, forces them to make decisions in life about where they're going to spend their time, where they're going to spend their money, where they're going to spend their energies... Where where, what choices are they going to make what they eat so many of them get up at hours that you and I would never think of and they devote themselves to disciplining their body to disciplining their mind and training themselves all because they know those choices are the right choices that will help them attain that goal and Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9 he says they do it for something that's going to perish in those days it was an, a laurel wreath but our athletes, our Olympic athletes, do it for a piece of gold and for, the, for, the, for, the, for the, the, the fame that will last them for just a very short time. They make a sacrifice for something that's transitory. He said, but we're facing a goal. We have a f- focus and a purpose and a goal that is eternal and the rewards for it is eternal. He said, therefore, I discipline my body. I keep it under. In other words, I make choices about my life. I make choices about how I spend my time. I make choices about how I spend my finances. I make choices about what I eat. I make choices based on that goal that's constantly set before us. And as we come through a difficult time, as we come through the challenges that we've come through, we can get pulled off and distracted because there's so many things vying for our heart most of all, which is why the, 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 uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4, Verse 20, 20, chapter 20, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. Satan knows that. So he's constantly working to distract your heart away from God and away from God's word. So we're going to talk this morning about how, how to do that. Proverbs 29, 18 says that, that um, uh, 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 says, for there is, um, where there is no, the, the King James says, where there's no vision, the people perish. But literally what it says, where there's no revelation, that word means prophetic vision. We just, I'm not a prophet, but we just spoke out 
a prophetic vision for you and for this year. And where there's no prophetic vision, the people are unrestrained. Our life is all over the place. There's no restraint, there's no focus, there's no purpose. But happy is he who keeps the law. So having a focus and knowing what that focus is, is important. And, and as I was praying about this, I just really felt, and literally, this is sometimes how God does it to me. Uh, the other day I was walking down from the office down that ramp here, and the Lord dropped in me how to do this, what to look at. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this by looking at how God did this for Israel when they came out of Egypt. So in order to understand that, you've got to know the context. Years before that, generations before that, God had called a man named Abraham. And God had called him because God wanted to form a people for himself, a people that God would have a very special covenant relationship with. And God would prosper them. They would be blessed because they would be in a relationship with God as Adam and Eve were before they sinned and they fell. And God's purpose for that was that would be a witness to the world of who this living God was. And so God called this man named Abraham, entered into a covenant with him. And on some Wednesday nights this fall, we talked about that. And then God renewed that covenant to his son Isaac. And he renewed that covenant to his son, grandson, Jacob. And then God told Jacob, actually God told Abraham, that there would come a time when, the, when this people that God had called to himself would be taken down into Egypt because there would be a great famine. And God did that. He sent them to Egypt and he sent one of his own sons, he sent Joseph ahead to take care of his people while they were in Egypt and God was providing for them. Now in the Bible, Egypt represents the world. It represents the world's way of thinking, the world's systems, the world's method of doing everything. Egypt was one of the most, maybe the two, one of the two most advanced cultures and nations in the world at this time. They had, they had, they had scientific developments. We still don't understand how they built those, the, the, the pyramids because they didn't have any of the equipment that we had today. Yes, they had thousands of slaves, but, but in, their, in their, their medical science, there's still things we don't understand how they were able to do certain things. So it was very, very advanced. And they represent the very best, at least at that time, that man could do using his own intelligence and his own resources, which is exactly what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. And so God sends his covenant people down there to be taken care of during this famine. But Exodus chapter 1 opens with this insight, it tells us basically that they overstayed their need to be there. It says because they became more numerous and greater than the Egyptians, so much so that the Egyptians were afraid that they might rise up and overcome the Egyptian army. So the Egyptians were afraid of God's people, and so in order to keep them under control, they enslaved them, and listen carefully, God's people allowed them to do that to them. Why? Because they were feeding them and they were taking care of their needs. So the danger to us today is that we become so accustomed to trusting in what this world system provides for us. Medical. Well, we need doctors. Yes, we do. But God wants to be your physician. We look at our government to provide for our needs. 
So if I don't have a job, I go on unemployment. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But if that's your ultimate source, then you're just where they were. And what happens is we become enslaved to the ones we depend upon because we submit to their ways because along with their provision comes everything else that's behind it. And that's what the nation of Israel did. And then they sat under that bondage for 430 years and finally when they got tired of it they cried out to God and God already had prepared a deliverer, Moses and he was 80 years into his training before they cried out and God brought them out. I went through all of that because now you realize here was a people who lived under, under what was then the world's system and the world's method of provision for 430 years, four gener- over 10 generations. And God's now brought them out of Egypt. And he's, he has a place he's taken them, which he calls the pa- promised land, which is what is Palestine. But, but through, between Egypt and the promised land, there is the wilderness of Sinai. And the Bible says this, one of the verses in Deuteronomy says that God could have taken them directly from Egypt into the promised land because it was a two-week journey. It took them 40 years to get there. Why? Because they had so much of Egypt in them so much of a dependent on Egypt and they did not know their God who was delivering them. The Egyptians had over 2,000 gods that they worshipped. One God for every need that they had. And they had idols and all kinds of things that they would bow down and worship. And this is the culture that God's covenant people have lived in for 430 years. And now God's task now that he has them out, is to reintroduce himself to them that he is their God. He is their source. He is the one they're to be focused on. He is the one that there is their provision. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they departed from, the Rephid, from Rephidim and had come into the wilderness of Sinai, which is the very southern end, and camped in the wilderness. And so Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. So he's talking about how he delivered them out of Egypt and when they came out of Egypt, you sh- I think you know the story, they got out and the Egyptians threw them out basically because of all the, 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 the things God took them through. And now the, ar- the Israeli army, the, the uh, Egyptian army is bearing down on them and God parts the Red Sea, supernatural deliverance. They cross on dry land, about two million people, and then as they get over there, the Egyptian army follows them through in their chariots and God withdraws his hands and the army, uh, army is swallowed up. So they have seen in one day God supernaturally deliver them and God supernaturally destroy their enemies in front of them. That's what he's working, referring to. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you in eagle's wings and brought you, look at, listen, I brought you to myself. Now therefore, 
if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he's calling him back to that covenant he established with Abraham, then you will be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom and priests and a holy nation. You will be separated from this world to me. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid out for them before the words that God Lord had commanded them. And listen to this. This is their answer. So Moses has brought this message of what God's vision is for them, God's purpose of them. He's brought them to the people. And the condition is, as long as you do what I say. Moses called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words that the Lord commanded. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken to, we will do. We're going to be faithful to this God. So Moses brought the words of the people back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, now here's what's going on here. God has said, I want to make you a special people. Mine. Kingdom of priests. That means you'll have a direct communication with me. And you will be a holy nation, which means you will stand out among all the world. And I will prosper you and bless you so that the world will know what I'm like. And all you've got to do is just do what I say and they come back and say, yes, whatever you say, we will do. Now listen, God, this is the whole point of today's message. God knows how to get us where we need to go far better than we do. I'm glad we all agree with that. All right, and that's good. Okay, praise the Lord. So look at the God's answer. This is what God's going to do to enable them to do what they said they do. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come down in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Is there another verse I gave you? I forgot where I was. So the Lord said to Moses, go to the people today and consecrate them for tomorrow. So what's going to happen here is God's going to say, here, I'm going to come down on this mountain. But before I come down, you've got to go to the people and tell them to take three days to consecrate themselves. That means set themselves aside from what they normally do. So you need to wash your clothes. That's a basic, but God's telling them to cleanse themselves. He tells your husbands, don't go near your wives. That doesn't mean you can't have breakfast with them. It means you don't have physical relations with them. You separate yourself. He's preparing them to come down. And then he's going to warn them. Moses set boundaries around the base of the mountain because when they come out, if they start coming up on the mountain because they're curious about me, they'll die on the spot. Why? Because he's a holy God and they're not holy. And this is one of the basic principles. Unholiness any unholiness cannot physically survive in the presence of absolute holiness. It's not that God gets mad at it. It's that coming into the presence of, unho- of holiness, any unholiness gets immediately judged and there's death. So if we were to come into the pre- if they were to come to the presence of God, the very best of them, because there was an unholiness in them, they would have died on the spot. You say, well, how come Moses could do that? That's a good question. 
Ask Pastor Michael. No. <laughs> because God, had, through a process, had purified his heart. We don't have time to go into all that. Okay. So he's telling them to do this. And they go out and they do what they're told to do. Now we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. I want you to get this picture. There were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. This didn't come from the camp. This came from the top of the mountain. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Do you understand that's what we do every Sunday? We come together to meet with God. Think of that. There's so many things that tempt you and distract you to not come to church. Because Satan wants us to not meet with God. Because he knows if we meet with God, God's going to make himself known to us. And the more he makes himself known to us, the more the things of this world just don't attract anymore. Because how... I remember Pastor Sam Smith, the founder of this church, because we had, he had things happen back then somewhat like this. We had people get, go off on these side tangents. Well, what about this? I hear this, that, there's, that there's teaching in the Bible that the earth is flat. I hear it all about, blah, 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 and they get off on all these, even masks and not masks, and all this, we get off on that. And, and Pastor Sam had this simple text and answer. Are you so bored with Jesus that you have to chase after those things? Another preacher that I, I listen to sometimes, and you know, somebody met him once and said, Wow, it's you! He said, If you're so impressed with me, you really don't know Jesus. Because he is so impressive. And God wants to reveal himself to them. And God knows what they need to see about him. See, God appears in different forms based on what he knows you need to know about him. So what he knows they need to know because they've come out of a nation of idolatry. They're ingrained with this idolatry. And God knows they need to know that he is real because those other 2,000 gods weren't real. They need to know he's powerful. They need to know his authority. In other words, they need to develop a fear of the Lord. That's what they needed so that they would not sin. Not their resolve, not their New Year's resolution. They needed to have an experience with the holiness of God. And that's what the church needs today. There's so much looseness, even in our worship. I'm not talking about here necessarily, but there's, there's looseness in our lives because we forget who this God is. And God wants to bring them back and focus them so he comes down on the mountain in his power and majesty and glory and what they're seeing is lightnings and thunderings and the ground shaking. Moses brought them out and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely covered in smoke, verse 18, because the Lord descended on it in fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of the furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice and the Lord came down on the mountain, sighed on top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up on the top of the mountain and Moses went up. God sends him down to warn the people, don't, don't come up. 
Now let's go over to verse 18 because I want to see, um, excuse me, let's go um, to chapter 20, verse 1. And now Moses goes back up on the mountain and this is what God's telling him. Remember what he's doing? God's revealing to them who he is. He's bringing a focus to their lives and to their nation. And this is what God wants to do for us at the beginning of this year. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke the, all these words, saying, God's a God who speaks. Verse 2. I, I want this to sink into you. I am the Lord, your God. I am is how God identified himself when he called Moses to go back and tell the people, I've heard your cry and I'm going to set you free. Because Moses said to them, to God, how, what, who will I say sent me? Why? Because they had no idea who God was anymore. You just tell them, I am. I am what? No, I just am. To put anything after I am limits who I am. In, in the Hebrew, it is the, it is the self-existent one. The self-existent... No, I, I, everything else owes its existence to God. God owes His existence to no one and no thing. Before there was, He was. The Big Bang came from Him. God opened His mouth and bang! I am the Lord. Ultimate authority. So I am is the ultimate authority over the earth and over your life and over this nation and over this church. And I am the Lord and I am your God. God refers to the one that takes care of you. God refers to the one that protects you. God refers to the one that the Egyptians worshipped 2,000 of them and none of them were alive or real. And God's saying, I'm going to be your God and I'm your God, personal. But the one who's your God is the Lord. Adonai, the Lord. And it's the one that is the self-existent one. And I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, out of the house of bondage. So that's a nice, that's an historical statement. No. I am is your Lord. And he's your God. And he's the one that brought you out of the world and out of the bondage of the world. And you shall have no other gods. That's what he goes on to say. Therefore you shall have no other gods before me. Some translations say, you shall have no other gods. So this is a time to prayerfully look at our lives and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what other gods do we have in our lives. You can tell who your God is not by what you think on Sunday morning in church, but by where you spend your money, by where you spend your time, but where you spend the things of your heart, the things that are tied to your heart. Jesus reduced everything to two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've got to move on. 
So let's go down to verse 20, verse 18. Let's see how they responded. So now he gives the rest of the Ten Commandments. But the other nine commandments, all of them stand on this foundation. In fact, everything in God's relationship with you and me and with this church stands on that first commandment. I am the Lord, your God, who called you out of the world, out of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. We're talking about refocusing. As we begin this year, what's our focus? That's our focus. And whatever I'm doing, how I'm spending my time, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy your life. It doesn't mean you've got to sit in church your whole time. But it's your heart. What are the things that have a hold of your heart? So now we're going to see Moses has come down. He's given them the commandments. Now all the people witnessed. Remember what we said. God promised them, I want you to be a special people to me. As long as you do what I say, I will prosper you. I will bless you. You will be a special possession to me. And you will be above everything else in the world. By the way, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit says, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. Not weird, but you are separate. All the people witnessed the lightnings and the thunderings and the flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, no, 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 no. <laughs> you go talk to God. And we will hear what he said to you, but don't let God speak to us, lest we'll die. Now remember in the beginning, God made this promise. This is what I want to do for you. All you have to do is obey my commandments. And they said, yes, we'll do everything you say. And all God said is, come down to the base of this mountain and let me reveal myself to you. They've seen him and they said, nah, this is more than I want to handle. Moses, you go pay the price. Pastor, you go pray. Um, excuse me. You go pray. You study the word and you come tell us what the word is on Sunday and I'm going to live the rest of the week the way I want to and I'll come back to church on Sunday and hear what God's saying to us through what God said to you. I'm not talking to any of you, of course. or you online. Lest we die. Verse 20. And Moses said to the people, this is one of amazing verses. Listen, it sounds like a contradiction. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come down to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not say, wait a minute, well, let's double talk. God's come down, don't fear, because God's come down so you'll fear. That's what people that aren't, don't have the Spirit say, I don't understand that. The Bible is hard to understand. The Bible is truth. What's he saying here? Moses is saying, do not be afraid of God because God has come down to test you. He's training you. That word in the New Testament is to train. God is training you. He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to get something in you so that you won't you will fear him. You will have a reverence for who he is. And therefore, you will not sin. That's what God's doing here. Don't be afraid. See, fear of God causes you to run away from him. So I don't want to pray because I don't want to talk to God. I don't know what he might tell me to do. 
He gave his life for you. He's not going to hurt you. But he might call you to do some things that are uncomfortable. He might call you to do some things that, are, that, that, that you don't want to do. Because it's not about what you want to do or I want to do or even what makes us comfortable. It's about whose we are and who we belong to. Okay, we've got we've to move along. Okay. So how does this story relate to us? How does this story relate to us? We're going to go to, to Hebrews chapter 12. And just to give you some background here, um, the, the whole book of Hebrews is actually written to Jews that had been dispersed through the persecution. And they were getting weak in their determination. They were getting weak in their focus because they were separated from the mother church. And the Satan wants to do that. He wants to isolate us and separate us because alone we are not going to make it. None of us are strong enough on our own. So, so what's happened is he's challenged them and then he's told them in chapter 10, he said, don't throw away your confidence. Focus. Because there's a great reward if you will hold on to that and keep your focus. And then he goes into chapter 11, which is a list of people of how they learned to walk by faith so they wouldn't lose their focus. And having finished that chapter, he now begins... Of course, they didn't write it in chapter and verses. So, therefore, because of all that, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people that have gone on before us are part of the same church you and I are part of. Paul's a member of this church. Peter's a member of this church. He may not be on the rolls of Faith Christian Center, but this isn't the church. They've gone before us. Your loved ones that have gone before you. Pastor Sam, those of you who remember the, the, uh, um, uh, Marianne Brown. Others, even in our fellowship, that have now gone before us. They're, they're, they're not just up there humming, you know, playing harps and having a good time with each other. They're looking over the banister of heaven because this is like, this is like a, 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 re, a, a relay race. We, they've run their course and the baton has been handed to us. And they're not just leaving. They didn't leave the stadium and go home, take a shower and watch it on TV. They're standing there urging us on to finish our part of this race. That's what this is saying. Since we have surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Talking about things that trip us up. The weights that are in our life. The things that are holding us back from fulfilling this purpose and this call. Lay them aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 5, go down to verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as sons? My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That word chastening just means discipline. What he's going to say in this section is, God loves you, he's your father, and as a result of that, he is disciplining you, training you, equipping you. So when God puts pressure on you about something to get out of your life. It's not to take something away. He's got a goal in mind. And the whole theme here is that a loving father, a good father, will discipline their child for a purpose. When I would discipline our children, it was always with a goal. And I made sure I I set myself before I administered that discipline. To the seat of understanding that my motive was to prepare them 
for God's purpose for their life, to help get out of them the things that they had trouble controlling themselves. And that's what God's discipline and training is all about. God disciplines us, trains us. Let's, we're going to drop down. I, we're running a, a little short on time. We're going to drop down to... Um, let's go down to verse 7. If you endure the chastening, the discipline, then you, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there among you? Did I have that there? Yeah. What son is there among you who does not... Do you have verse 8? What, what, if you were without chastening... In other words, what the, the whole theme here is, is if you will allow God to discipline you, if you will just stay steady and not panic and not faint and allow God to train you and discipline you, get your focus back on target and help you to get out of your life the things. And most of those real dangerous things are not things that you have on your shelves or you, it's the things in your heart. To allow God to point those things out and to correct you and discipline you why? So, because without chastening, of which we've all become very, because God, blah, 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 blah. I got to shorten this down. God does this like a good father will discipline his child because he wants to develop something in them character, endurance, so that when they go out of the home, out into the world, they'll succeed and their character will remain strong. Well, God's using that as an example. He, as a loving father, does that with his children. And if you will endure that, if you will not faint and run away or if you will not get hardened yourself, then you will allow God to work in your life and to bring correction and discipline into your life because He wants to produce something in you. He wants to produce a, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, stand up Shake off that self-pity and stand up and let your father work in your life. Don't resist him. I didn't write this, he did. Make straight paths for your feet. In other words, get your focus back so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. This is a focus. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, he's warning them, lest any root of bitterness, lest any root of bitterness, bitterness poisons your heart. And Satan is always trying to sow seeds of disappointment, of, dis- of disillusionment, to, because he wants to sow a seed of bitterness in your heart. So guard your heart with all diligence because those thoughts of why did somebody get promoted and I didn't? How come somebody gets to do this and I don't get to do this? How come this happens and I didn't? How come this happens? How come somebody else prospered last year and I didn't? How come this happened to me? Those are seeds. Satan's trying to sow in your heart because he wants to produce fruit just like God's Word is intended to produce fruit in your life. But the fruit Satan's after is to bear the fruit of bitterness. Why? Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness is not something you keep to yourself. Bitterness is a fruit, and you can smell fruit. And it becomes contagious. 
because it draws other people to you that are also disillusioned, also disappointed, also discouraged because it draws it to you. Be careful of allowing discouragement to take root. So we all get discouraged. Yes, but the Bible gives you an answer to it. You're responsible for what you allow in your heart. We're going to learn that in renewing the mind. Because this, by this, many, many become defiled. Let's go down to verse 18. But you've not come to the mountain that may be, tu- not, may be touched, that burned. He's going to be referring back to the story we just referred to, we just read. But you've not come to that mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, to the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word would not be spoken to them any more, because they could not endure what was commanded, as if as much the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an iron. They were afraid of God. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you've come to a different mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem. It reflects the Jerusalem of that day. It reflects the place where God established His temple. God established His presence. And it, it, it speaks of the place that Jesus is coming back to. And it speaks of the place where God will come and eventually reestablish His presence on the earth in Jerusalem. So this refers to our covenant relationship with God. You've come to a different mountain, to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, of the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of saint angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. I was looking up that word general assembly here this morning. That word refers to people coming together for a festival, for a celebration. This is not a scene of fear running away. This is a scene of a great celebration, of a great victory, because we're in the presence of God. To the general assembly, to the church, they're called that ones of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. He's talking about us. To God, the judge of all to the spirits of men, just men, men that have been justified by the blood of Christ, who've been made perfect. That means they're completed because they've gone on to be with Him. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So when they came to the base of this mountain, they had no mediator. There was this holy God on the mountain. And they saw Him in His awesomeness, and they were afraid and pulled away. God's just as awesome. He's just as holy. He's just as mighty. We sang about Him today, but we have a mediator. Hebrews 10 talks about Him. I encourage you to go through that slowly. It says, He's prepared a new way to come to God. The new is a living way through the blood of Christ. Because what's happened is when you come to Christ... When you bring him and invite him into your life and you surrender your life to him, he joins you to himself. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It's not just that anyone believed in Christ. When you believe in him, you're joined to him. That means whatever he is, you are. So listen carefully. If he's holy, you're holy. If he's righteous, you're righteous. So, Pastor, you don't really know me. Yeah, you don't know me either. (laughs) In myself, I'm not righteous. In myself, I'm not holy. But I'm not in myself alone. 
I'm no longer standing alone before God in my righteousness and my holiness. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been joined to Christ. So I stand before Him. I stand before Him. I stand before Him in Christ. So I have the same confidence, the same boldness to come into His presence whenever I want. I don't have to be afraid of Him, but He's still holy. He's still almighty. He's still powerful, but I can now come to Him. And now what the writer of Hebrews is saying, because I have that privilege, I can never forget who He really is. Because the church today has drifted in that direction. And God's become our best bud. Our closest friend He is, but He's a holy Almighty God. It's interesting. Back in the days when of the great uh, of, of the great Reformation and the, even the Church Age, the early Church Age, they didn't build churches like this. And some of you went began in churches. They built cathedrals, huge high ceilings, great high stained glass windows. And the, and, and the altar was way up high and lifted up and the people sat way out there. It was intentional. It was intended to communicate to them the awesomeness of this God. Have you ever walked in some of those places? I've been in St. Peter's. You just go... And it's designed to make you realize this God is an awesome God. But the danger is we get so caught in His awesomeness we don't realize there's an intimacy that He wants. There's that balance. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is calling them to. And then he begins in he begins um, in verse 25. So see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For they did not escape or refuse when he spoke to them on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth but now has promised, saying, Yet what's more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the... Listen carefully. The removal of those things which are being shaken. Over these last two years, I venture to say that all of us have had some things shaken in our life. Maybe it was your faith that was shaken. And when your faith is shaken, it shows how strong it really is. If COVID-19 can shake my faith, then my faith may not be as strong as I thought it was. Because a lot of times we think we know where we are, but the circumstances will reveal where you are when the testing comes. So there's coming a time, and I think we're in a degree of shaking right now, where things that could, can, whatever can be shaken, that's what he says, the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. So the things that, which cannot be shaken may Remain. I've used this example before. Because in the old days, they used to clean, in springtime, they clean their carpets by draping them over a line, and they had a thing called a carpet beater. And they would hit that carpet over and over again. And every time they hit that carpet, dust would fly out of it, dirt would fly off it. And they may have already used a, a, a vacuum cleaner on it. But there's still things ingrained in that, fibers that have that rug, listen carefully, that are not part of the rug. And what that shaking does is it, re, it, it separates what's embedded in the fibers of that rug from the rug itself. Because the fibers of the rug can't be shaken loose because they're part of the nature 
of that rug. And we're coming through a time, and it may well continue, where there's a lot of shaking going on. The world's going through a shaking, and when you get shaken and I get shaken, it shows there's still parts of this world that are in us. Because God's goal for Israel, once he got them out of Egypt, was to now get Egypt out of them. And because Egypt didn't get out of that first generation, they would not enter in to the promised land. It's not that God kept them from going. They turned away from God's will for their lives and they refused to go because they were holding on to things of this world, things that they had collected in Egypt. And God had to let that generation die out so that the generation that was not raised in Egypt that did not have Egypt in them like that, would be willing to go into the destiny that God has called them. And I suggest to you today that there's a promised land. Yes, there's a heaven, but it's not talking about heaven because it's talking about a land where there's enemies. There were enemies in that promised land that they had to get rid of. Heaven doesn't have enemies. But there are enemies in this world. There are demonic forces that are trying to stop the word of God going forth. And you and I are called called by God. We've been, listen to this, we've been put here for such a time as this. You know, it's a privilege, the privilege we have that God would choose you. Yes, you on watching online. God would choose you for just this time for the purpose he has for your life because of the world that's out there that he loves and cares about. But we've got to allow him to, boom, hit the rug. We've got to allow him to shake us so that the things that are embedded in our lives, our thinking and our habits, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to shake them out. And a reason to believe this is important to understand so that you understand why you're going through what you're going through. God's not beating you. The world is. But it's revealing where we really are. It's revealing where we really are. And Timothy, I'm not going to take the time to read it. Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, in every house, there are different kinds of vessels. There's a vessel of gold. There's a vessel of silver. There's a vessel of, 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 of uh, wood. A vessel refers to something that can be placed, something. He says, God chooses. You, 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 he said, make sure that what's in your vessel is gold. Because that's what determines what God can do through you. God wants to use you this year. He wants to flow through you with the fruit of His love, His power. God wants to demonstrate His power this year through dramatic healings and miracles. But He can't do it through a people who are so caught up in the world and the issues of the world. Oh, they're all saying this about vaccination. Oh, wearing masks. We're going, oh, oh, oh. And just listen to the words of your mouth if you want to know where you are. We're going to all walk around with a tape recorder for a day and then listen to what we said. You might learn some things about why you are where you are. And it's so, it's amazing how God loves you. With with where we are, He still loves us. He's patient. But the time is getting urgent. The purpose is so critical to his kingdom coming, to his will being done for a lost and dying world that doesn't have what you and I have to turn to, 
They don't know who you and I know. They don't know what he's able to do. And you and I are his arms, his feet, his voice, his eyes, his ears, his hands to communicate who he is. But we're distracted. We're worn out by the things we're trying to wrestle with, the fears and the worries. I'm going to end with this. Why do we worry over things Jesus isn't worried about? Why are we so concerned with things he's not concerned about? They were on a boat going to the other side because he told them to. And a storm comes up and there's water coming into the boat and they're all panicked and Jesus was asleep. He wasn't worried. Why were they worried when he wasn't worried? We better close. Father, we thank you for your infinite patience, your grace, and your love but you're calling us as believers to wake up and to grow up. And you don't call us to do this on your own. Your Spirit's been given to us to form Christ in us. If we're in Christ, we're joined to Him, we're in Him, but He wants to be formed in us so that He's living His life through us, He's speaking through us, He's doing His works through us. But over the course of our life in this last year, we've allowed so many things, so many cares and so many concerns to take a place in our heart that belongs only to you. So as we begin this year together to serve you, to serve one another, to love you, to love one another, help us to lay these things aside. Help us this week as we begin to let the Spirit work in us to allow you to open, shine your light into our hearts and into our lives. Not a condemning light, not a condemning heart, but a, but a loving Father who wants to remove from our lives those things that are hurting us and enable us to do these things. For these things we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name.